Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I guess I've been saying that for three years in the air now, Jim, so I guess I'm probably a 23-year internet security veteran, but I don't know when you, you roll over. At 20, I think I can just stop and just, that, that'll be good for the rest of my life. I'll always be at least a 20-year internet security veteran. Uh, so I'm joined uh, this episode uh, by Jim Pershbach, who's the president and CEO of Port San Antonio. Um, it is not a shipping port. Um, with uh, uh, water and the bay and all the rest of that. Uh, Jim will explain uh, some of the things here. He's been on the program a couple of times now, so if you wanted to check our website out at www.cybertalkradio.com or uh, listen to the podcast archives, we've uh, covered uh, some of how the port evolved, how it got started. Um, Today in the program, we're going to focus on what's happened kind of over the last year and the last time since he's joined us. Um, some pretty um, substantial announcements, and I think lots of, of great things ahead. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll also talk uh, maybe a little bit more about um, his background. I know we, we've covered a little bit. Sometime you had a license to practice law, correct? I still do. You still do. You, you keep up with your CLE, huh? I do. Yeah. And uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about yeah his background and kind of how he ended up in the role here and, and what excites him uh, about the, the opportunity as uh, he's been uh, in this role. You've been working for the port for how many years now? Since 2014. Okay. So what's that, five years? Five years there. And then the last year and a half as the, the CEO uh, really uh, getting to steer, steer the ship. Um, even though there's not a boat out there. So uh, for for those that don't know anything about Port San Antonio, um, what's a, the, the kind of the one-minute story that you tell folks? What it is, it's a technology port. It's a place where you're connecting people with opportunities and connecting technology with employers. And our focus is on what we do so well here in San Antonio. It's the mature industries, less sexy than cybersecurity, things like aviation, manufacturing, energy. And then, of course, it's the cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, robotics, and innovation that we're doing. Yeah. So if, like, if I, I went to, to Hallmark or some of the other uh, aviation programs, the mechanics and the robotics and the aerospace um, technician programs, most likely I'm going to get a job out at the port somewhere. We have, yeah, we, we've been doing aircraft maintenance, repair, and overhaul at that facility since 1917. And it really is one of the world leaders when it comes to not just repairing aircraft, but modifying aircraft and turning them into something better than they were before. Yeah. So the as you, you take as um, for folks that don't know um, a bunch about um, airplanes and the aerospace, I know enough to hopefully be dangerous. And Jim will correct me on anything where I, I goof this up. But basically, you've got a platform which is kind of the the fuselage, the chassis, right, and then. After that, they swap all sorts of stuff out on this. So, like, uh, if, if you, you fly, you may get into a, a Boeing 737 these days, and you don't often see um, a, a cigarette ashtray in the armrest anymore. Right. That same plane might have had an interior with a, with an ashtray in it back until, what was it, the early 90s where that got, or early 80s when that got banned. Somewhere in there, we weren't allowed to smoke on airplanes anymore. Right. So they swapped that whole interior out, um, and they might put new engines on it. Um I feel like at some point I saw all the, the 737s when I was a kid, it felt like they had flat wings, and now most of them have the little curved tips on them. They've got the winglets on them now. The 37, when it first came out in the mid-60s, we'd call it a regional jet today. If you look back at a Dash 100 or a Dash 200, they're tiny little airplanes with long, thin engines on them. They sit really low to the ground. And the idea was to go into unimproved airports, grass fields, gravel fields. They're still using them up in North Canada and down in Africa. Yeah, I yeah, I, so I couldn't imagine a modern 
737. If if the Southwest pilot told you we're gonna we're gonna go down on this farm field over here, I think everyone would panic. Probably. Yeah. And you couldn't do it in a farm field, but you could do it on a semi-improved runway. Yeah. And, and you know, and that if you go into the flight deck of those airplanes, because you're so absolutely right. Look at an airplane from the 1960s, and you're going to see a whole bunch of steam gauges. Yeah. And you go into that airplane today, and what you're going to see is essentially a couple of iPad-looking screens. And it's that update, that new technology that's going in there. And what makes us excited about the aviation connection, and particularly with what you all do so well in cybersecurity, is that as these airplanes become connected devices, you know, we're getting into a smart aviation world, there's going to be a Teutonic shift. Aviation moves really, really slowly, yeah. and when it finally decides to accept these new technologies, it is a massive jump. And that's what we're seeing is so much growth here in San Antonio and so much opportunity for this community. No, I mean, as, as I, I look at, at some of the, uh, the online Internet uh, air traffic maps now, and, and you can pull this up and, and you can see the, the number of uh, flights all over the, the U.S., and if you, you pick, uh, listeners out there, if you pick one of the, the big metro areas like um, Southern California around Los Angeles or the, the Bay Area uh, with three airports or the, the New York City area with three airports, and you look at the number of dots up there, yeah, those planes are going to need to start talking to each other um, and coordinating. I mean, I think it's it's miraculous what the air traffic control folks and the pilots and everybody do just to, to make all those planes and the little dots not collide with each other. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, busy stuff going on. It is. Um, and amazing advances. So uh, and so you guys uh, do that. And so how many folks are working in what you would consider the aerospace industry out at, at Port San Antonio? Well, it depends on your definition of aerospace industry. If you take the very traditional, actually touch an airplane or touch an airplane system directly, you're probably in the three to 4,000 range. If you take the view of aerospace that we do, that it is everything. It's the connected devices, it's the smart devices, augmented reality, it's the pilot training. That gets you up pretty close to the 14,000 people that we have on the property. Okay. And then, so one of the, the new areas, and we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, probably in the maybe the second half of the program, because I want to still cover some more of your background other things, is... You've got these project tech buildings that are going up, which are more cybersecurity kind of tied in related to some of your neighbors. So for, for those um, not that haven't pulled out Google Maps or something yet to figure out where is Port San Antonio, uh, it's uh, about, what are you, eight miles from downtown on the west side of downtown? About eight miles southwest of downtown. Town. Um, and really close to uh, Lackland Air Force Base. We share the runway and the airfield with Lackland. Yeah, so that close. Snuggled right up next to it. And uh, and over at Lackland, for those not following along here, of um, some announcements in the, from the U.S. Air Force here over the last year, uh, they've um, stood down the 24th and 25th Air Force, um, which were related to um, signals intelligence and um, cyber activities and stood up a new 16th Air Force, which combines the capabilities of those 24th and 25th. It's not an ex exact combination. They didn't take 24 plus 25 equals 16, uh, but they've, they've created a new Air Force that has a scope of missions that covers much of what the 24th and 25th were doing. Um, and there's lots of folks doing cybersecurity, and that goes all the way back um, in, in – Gosh, I guess 
all, maybe almost back as long as the airfield's been there. I think some of the first Air Force Signals Intelligence folks were working over there at Lackland. It was uh, 1948. It moved to San Antonio. Okay. Moved to Security Hill, which at the time was Kelly Air Force Base, now yeah. part of Lackland, in 1953. Okay. Yeah, so that's been out there for, for quite a while, snuggled up to you guys. Because um, Kelly Field is now Port San Antonio, and Kelly, or a lot of the land for Kelly Air Force Base is now what's called Port San Antonio? Yes. So when, when Kelly was realigned, what they did was they took everything on the western side of the field, with the exception of the engine test complex, and they combined that into Lackland as Kelly Annex. And then we took the rest of the property. So we've got about 1,900 acres on the northeast side of the airfield, and the rest of the property is combined into Lackland Air Force Base. Okay. Uh, and and then so over this this last year, you got a few new buildings going up. We'll talk uh, some about uh, that and kind of where things are headed um, as we go into the program. So your career background, though, and this is one I, I like to share with the listeners. And we've been getting more in depth about this um, kind of as our audience evolved over the last few years because we've got a lot of. Uh, kids and parents listening to the programs now trying to figure out what is my career in san antonio going to be or how can i help my kids find a career in san antonio so how the heck do you end up ceo of of port san antonio just a a lot of coincidences you know growing up i had no desire to do this i wanted to do two things i wanted to either fly airplanes or i wanted to work at disney world and coming out of college i actually had a job offer to go to disney they were in the process of building what became disneyland paris uh, to go out there for host of reasons that didn't work, fell into law school. And I remember the first day of law school, they said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, the one thing I don't ever want to be is a practicing lawyer. Yeah. Well, I spent 20 years doing that, 18 18. years as a practicing lawyer. And luckily, I started to do aviation and defense work, Uh, a lot of regulatory work, a lot of work with the military, uh, defense contractors, defense industrial base. Got moved here to San Antonio and saw what was going on at the port and and really saw something special. You know, you look at Port San Antonio, you look at San Antonio, and you don't see what's there until you you look underneath. It's the same thing that's going on downtown. It's the same thing that's going on with the universities. There is real special activity here, but it's not seen. And what I saw at the port is you have a massive Boeing facility, largest services and integration facility they have anywhere on the planet right down there. At the time, Lockheed Martin and Standard Air were running the biggest private engine shop on the planet, non-OEM engine shop. Now Standard Air is running that facility. You have this nascent at the time. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And I'm joined uh, by Jim Pershbach um, at, at Port San Antonio. Uh, so this last year now, so um, I've seen some announcements out there that say 3,000 new jobs. Uh, yeah, just about 3,000 in a year and a half is what we've added. Okay. And, and those are... And you guys, I guess, some new industries. Are you guys breaking out the jobs number between kind of the things you've traditionally been doing and some of these new things that are in these project tech buildings? We do. Publicly, we don't 
break that out because some of our employers are sensitive about how yeah. many numbers they have so on the I'll, property. I'll just use my my Brett math. Um, so you said we've had a, that Project Tech, the first building is 90,000 mm-hmm. square feet. Yep. Um, so for, for those listening out there, if you, you do commercial real estate and you take kind of professional office building, um, 200 square feet per employee is a real um, generous kind of office layout number, with, and that includes break rooms and bathrooms and hallways and all the rest of that. So that would put 450 people in a Project Tech building. If you were going to run a security operations center, so this is where you've got folks kind of, you see those um, knock and, and systems where you've got the panel of walls and you've got people sitting shoulder to shoulder, or like if you've seen um, uh, watching uh, NASA and like the launch videos or some of those movies over time where you've got all the people that are sitting shoulder by shoulder in front of computer consoles at that point you can get an employee per 60 to 80 square feet depending on how big the hallways and bathrooms are so at that level you could put a thousand you probably wouldn't have the whole building wouldn't be knock but you might be able to put a thousand people into a 90,000 square foot building so um, we'll do my math Jim can stay mm-hmm. quiet because his employers might not want to let him do this and if you're building a hundred and seventy thousand square foot now new project tech building um, that'll give somewhere between kind of uh, 1,800, maybe 1,500 uh, jobs in that, that new facility. Um, so, uh, and it, I love it. You've got the demand for it. The new one is half. It, the, the new ones, you've already leased up as much space in the new one as the existing building almost. I'm just, I'm just doing the math in my head now. You said 170,000 is 50% lease, so that's 85,000 feet, and the first building was only 90, right? Right. So, so you basically, you need to start um, putting together your board presentation for building three. We are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and that's on the office side. But, uh, so one of the ones um, I want to circle back and talk a little bit more about. So this, you, you, the um, San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology. And for those that wanted to hear more of David's story about how he um, arrived at this collection of, of all sorts of super interesting stuff um david monroe has been on on cyber talk radio um check out that program where we talked about the san antonio museum of science and technology and his background um but he um, was on the r&d team that invented one of the the first personal computers and all sorts of other things and we were doing this research here in san antonio a company called data point corporation uh, david worked for for them for a while and worked for a number of other different folks uh, but we've we've been doing lots of interesting technology things uh, in, in the city uh, for quite a while, and, and David is uh, a real knack for finding um, some interesting auction buys. I feel like a, a lot of the things he has are are worth well much more than he paid for them, and I'm I'm glad that they're out and kind of getting donated to some public good and public use, um, like the red phone and the 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 desk and uh, yeah, I mean there's just a lot of really uh, the, yeah Enigma machine. I don't even know how many of those Enigma machines are out there these days i don't feel like there's a lot of them there's not many and david has two of them yeah and uh, i feel like it's much easier to pop over to san antonio museum of science and technology if you live in this area than it is to go try to find the one on the smithsonian wherever it is in the smithsonian um and the smithsonian for those that have not been to washington dc is not just one building it's a whole collection of museums Uh, you can get real lost real easily so you you've got that uh museum and you've got this innovation center, which has now been fully approved, or where where are you at on the process on that one? We're in the process of designing it. We're in the process of going out and financing it. But the biggest part is to design it to make sure that we're, it's going to do exactly what we want it to do. And then once we design it, we know how much it's going to cost, and then we make sure we can afford it. So you've got approval to go through design process at yes. this point. Okay, because that's also not inexpensive when you're trying to 
plan something out like that? Not at all. It's going to be uh, between us and our development partner. We've uh, both committed to spend $2 million during this next phase. Yeah. And, and so this innovation center, you, you mentioned at the start of the program, you dreams of working at Disney. So I'm, I'm looping this all back together, Jim. It's, uh, you're, you're creating a place that will create magical experiences for the folks that are going to go out there. So um, larger space for the museum as part of this, because my understanding of chatting with David is still like more than half of his stuff is still in a warehouse somewhere. It is. Yeah. And some of it is going to be exhibits being built out of it. So yeah. if you go into the museum right now and it's wonderful – but it's walking into a museum. It's not very interactive. It's somewhat stayed. The vision for the new facility is you walk in and it's truly an interactive experience. It's something where you can go into a simulator and you can use that simulator. You can actually touch the equipment. You can learn. You can train on it. With the gaming arena, the technology arena, the robotics arena, we want to not just have the ability to host those events on the property, but for people to come back and build their own gaming machines, develop their own software, learn how to do this, match up not just with educational opportunities, but with employers. Because what we're seeing is a real opportunity for companies to incubate. You don't necessarily need to be on the port property. We'd love to have some of them down there. You look at a company like Plus One Robotics. Came down, uh, four guys with an idea that they were going to take an industrial robot and they were going to apply artificial sensors and artificial intelligence to it. And they have been tremendously successful. Reckon Point with Gabe Garza, who's taking a robotic array and putting a LIDAR system on it so it can go in and measure buildings within two centimeters of accuracy. And the opportunity is not just incubate these companies, but incubate them where the buyers of those technologies are there. You look at companies like Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, some of the big employers we have on our property. You mentioned the U.S. Air Force. All of these companies actively looking to acquire these technologies. Where better to develop them and showcase them than right here in Port San Antonio? Yeah, and then for the for the kids, um, and this is one I, I don't know as well. Someone out in our listening audience will, so uh, let us know on, on Facebook or Twitter because, uh, Jim, you're probably not going to know this one either. For the, so we've got a first robotics here. A lot of the schools mm-hmm. have clubs. They have the robotic competitions. Where do they host like the regional finals for that today? They, uh, they'll rent out ballrooms. They'll rent out convention center space. They'll rent out stadiums. Okay. And our goal is, is to build a facility where you can host it right there. It's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of a 2,000-seat multi-use arena. And designed so you can have those robotics competitions. You can have drone racing competitions. You can have gaming events. And then most important, you know, people want some fun, too. We plan on bringing in concerts and comedy shows and other events to truly make it a place where people can interact. Because this, Brett, has been a challenge not just for us at Port San Antonio, but I think it's a challenge for the entire world. You still have these siloed capabilities. And I noticed it a couple of years ago. I was at an aviation uh, week event. Uh, we were talking about engines. And everybody was worried about cybersecurity. There was a lot of conversations about cybersecurity going on. There wasn't a single cybersecurity person anywhere in that convention hall. Yeah. And I had an opportunity with some folks, with Will Garrett and a few other folks, to go to a IT conference, a cyber and IT conference. Everybody there was cyber and IT. They were all trying to sell to each other. Yeah. What we want to do is create an environment where the people from the airplane side can come in, socialize, and meet people from the technology side. 
we're seeing some wonderful things going on with augmented reality and virtual reality doesn't mean anything unless you can actually apply that to a system and the only way that you're going to get people actually working together is to get people bumping into each other and actually creating those relationships business relationships and personal relationships yeah i mean as i think about the aerospace um and and airline and all of that and pilot training it feels like now you should be able to build a simulator that would be much safer and much lower cost than people actually getting 1500 hours of flying laps in a jet right um i don't know does the faa allow simulator work for some of your flight hours now yes Uh, you can get to actually being a licensed pilot your entry into service your initial operating experience can be the first time that you've actually been on the metal it's probably not going to be but it could be yeah but but here's something that's really a tremendous opportunity the full fidelity simulator they're going to be tremendously expensive you're going to put in the the hydraulics and the pneumatics and everything else it's going to be tremendously expensive but for a systems trainer for a familiarity trainer you don't need any of that yeah if you're doing a a cockpit swap out of so all those flight control things which y'all do over at the port Mm -hmm. yeah and this is where there's real opportunities for people to come in and find more cost-effective ways to build those systems there is a military system. I won't give you too many details on it, but it's a familiarity trainer for close air support. One person goes into one room and flies an A-10. The other person is sitting in the other room and they're in a simulated combat environment. The simulated combat environment's being run off of a PS4. The flight simulator is being run off of a bunch of PCs. It's a wonderful system. Yeah. but. It's relatively low fidelity. There are probably ways that you can update that. You can go from what looks like GTA San Andreas to GTA 5. For sure. And one of the things we want to do with this innovation center is bring people in who can improve upon these technologies, put that improvement in front of the people who might be willing to buy that, and imagine the opportunities, the opportunities that creates for the entrepreneurs, the opportunities that creates for the military, the opportunities that, that creates for the private sector. And, and the, the goal of this is so much more than just a museum. It's like a permanent showplace. It, it's a permanent convention that people can come in, showcase what they're doing, talk to people and find out where there's opportunities that they may not know in that industry, that they can come in and disrupt it, because you can't disrupt an industry if you don't understand the industry. Yeah. And and uh, for for those that want to learn more about Plus One Robotics or Reckon Point, uh, both Eric, the CEO of, of Plus One Robotics, and uh, Gabe have been on CyberTalk Radio talking about the, the things that they're doing. Uh, and I think from a, a cybersecurity perspective, um, super interesting stuff like with the the reckon point uh, robot if you're a a cyber professional out there and you're wondering well why would i care about this robot well let's pretend that you could put this robot and, and you actually can so we won't even have to pretend you could drive this robot around your office building um and it can find all of your power outlets it can find all of your wi-fi access points the ones you knew you put up in the building and also it can find the ones that you didn't know you put up in your building 
um, and it and it can measure all this stuff and map out and provide you a, a much more accurate real world assessment than uh, you, you likely are aware of. And if you you wanted to be able to go through an audit of facility, you could use the the Reckon Point robot to go do that in a uh, real efficient manner. Um, and if you've got an old office building, especially or a place you've moved into that you didn't get full blueprints and full wiring diagrams and full all of this stuff, you can they can do a lot of mapping with that robot um, and from a cyber risk um, much of, of what we worry about is the things that we don't even know that are on the network um, or extending the network until you, you find out about it later and then with the the plus one robotics yeah I mean that's a it's a, a really interesting one we dive a lot in on in that um, episode into artificial intelligence and where are we really at from AI um, and without spoiler alerting the whole episode too much I mean Eric basically is that robots a uh, struggle to do stereoscopic vision so like if you think about the where we are with ai right now if you cover one of your eyes and then you reach around with your arm that's about where where and and plus one robotics is one of the first companies to really figure out how to apply stereoscopic vision through an ai platform um and and get it to actually see things with depth perception um, because before that the robots have not really had depth perception it's a it yeah we're, so we're not quite there yet. We've had we've had a number of guests on talking about AI and the singularity and like is all this stuff going to happen? Are the robots going to take over and hack the world? Um, not quite yet, um, is my assessment. Um, I think uh, you'll you'll have all of your land built out long before uh, the the robots take over completely. As uh, so this the timeline of this innovation center. So you're doing this next phase of it right now. What do you need from the community out there, feedback wise, from school districts or anything else? Is there any any way that you can get some help from us? Well, we are reaching out. So between Triple I, which is our development partner, and ourselves, we've got some stakeholders who are participating in the design process. We're talking to an awful lot of schools. The goal is to use the arena, something like the Alamo Stadium, for all the schools instead of each school trying to build a multi-million dollar facility yeah the timeline is we want to be able to get to financial close and get to construction by june of this year and then have the facility up shortly after so june that. of 2020 june of 2020 okay and then so second building done approved funded you're just in the permitting groundbreaking We're construction in, timeline drove by 